This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Hello, and welcome to this Nursing World Shared Practice Forum. My name is Adam Hamaki, and I am a cardiac nurse at Boston Children's Hospital. Today, I am very pleased to introduce Jamie Harris. Ms. Harris is a nurse practitioner in cardiology at Boston Children's Hospital. She began her career at Boston Children's in 2011 as a bedside nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit and joined the cardiac arrhythmia service in 2013. She sees patients from birth to adulthood with arrhythmia syndromes, cardiac rhythm management devices, and congenital heart disease. Her passion is empowering families to provide safe and effective care in the home setting. Jamie, welcome. So tell me about what initially interests you in the Red Zone Medication Safety Initiative. I began my career here at Boston Children's Hospital in the neonatal intensive care unit, and the Red Zone was rolled out early in my training um, when I was in the NICU, and I learned a lot about this framework that helps us to reduce medication errors in the inpatient setting. So then when I transitioned to an outpatient NP role, I realized we were actually giving a lot of the same high-risk medications in the home setting, but without some of those safety nets in place. And I felt like there was an opportunity to extend the existing framework into the home setting to provide that safety net for parents when they're giving high-risk medications in the home. So the red zone, um, the concept of the red zone that I learned when I was a new nurse here at Boston Children's Hospital is using distraction-free practice to decrease medication errors or medication events. And it's a framework that empowers nursing and healthcare staff to set aside dedicated time and space to be mindful during medication administration, minimize distractions and interruptions to enhance the cognitive workspace, and to create a, te- a work environment with teamwork and effective communication around these concepts. So what prompted you then to want to expand the Red Zone Medication Safety Initiative to the home setting? And would you be able to provide me with some examples of the different types of medication errors that were commonly reported to you uh, within the home setting? Yeah. So shortly after starting my current role, I met a family who had an error at home. Um, They had two bottles of medication. They were both very high-risk medications. And the two bottles somehow became confused when they were administering them so that the child got a significant overdose of one of the medications. And this family was very forthcoming in wanting to speak with us and talk about what might have gone wrong and how they could help us help other families to prevent a similar event in the future. And I was really inspired by that experience, and I wanted to try to understand what kinds of events were happening at home and how we could improve our teaching to try to prevent those from happening. And when we took a look, we were tracking some of these self-reported events Uh, We've decided that many of them actually came down to distractions and interruptions, not unlike those that we've identified here in the hospital. Well, it sounds like there was a real need to uh, think creatively of a way or means to promote safety at home. What were some of the first steps in expanding the Red Zone Medication Safety Initiative to the home setting? First, we wanted to try to understand the scope of the problem. So we took a look at our prescribing data. And in 2014, we had about 3,300 prescriptions written for antiarrhythmic medications at our hospital. Um, We've looked at that a few years now, and it's pretty similar year to year. 
and about 42% of those are liquid formulations. So this is this is a large population. And of those liquids, about 20% are compounded, which increases the risk. That's another layer of risk when they're compounding medications. So we took a look at our prescribing data. We analyzed known events, which were those reported to us by families, um, which we did just by opening up a dialogue mm-hmm. at Discharge, asking families to let us know if anything goes wrong at home or nearly goes wrong at home. And since then, we've had 39 adverse events, including some near misses, reported to us. Uh, And that was from December 2013 to August 2018. We know from the existing literature on medication errors in the home that that's a small number of the actual events, represents the tip of the iceberg, but it's a helpful way to understand some of the events that are happening at home. Jamie, could you tell us a bit more detail about the different types of events you've seen in the home setting? Sure. So one of the biggest things we see is toxicity from the medications themselves. So even when parents are administering these drugs perfectly, the baseline risk is very high. And the medication event types that we see that compound that risk are parents who are coordinating their schedules in such a way that one parent gives the medication and the other parent doesn't realize it's been given and gives a duplicate dose. That's very common among the errors that we studied. Another common error is an overdose, so using a syringe, trying to drop the correct dose, but drawing up too much. The families who reported these events to us, the overdose events, realized right away what had happened and reported it to us, which is great because we were able to monitor those children and make sure they were okay. And we had empowered those parents to share the information with us. We also saw compounding errors, so medications that were picked up at the pharmacy and had either been compounded incorrectly or compounded in a way, a formulation that was different than what the family expected. So by teaching parents to do their double check at the pharmacy counter, they were able to identify that the medication looked different than the last time they picked it up and ask the pharmacist for a demonstration. Believe it or not, we did see wrong patient errors in the home environment. Mm -hmm. And that's a testament to how busy and chaotic home life can be, that there were two cases where medications were given to the wrong child. We did have some critical underdoses as well. And in my line of work, that's very important because if a medication is designed to reduce the risk of a life-threatening arrhythmia, it's just as important to make sure you're giving enough as it is to make sure that you're not giving too much. We had several errors that occurred with multiple medication regimens. So if a child is on two or more liquid medications, it's very easy to confuse those bottles when you go to perform medication administration. And so we've worked with families to figure out ways of separate storage. For some families, color coding can be helpful in those situations. And for other families, that's that's not a great tool. So it really comes down to talking with the family about what's going to work best for their learning style and the learning style of all of the other caregivers who are administering medications because it is the whole family often that is giving medications. So the communication needs to be really clear. The process really needs to be clear. And there needs to be a handoff among caregivers in the home environment, much like there is here in the hospital. It's clear that there's a lot of opportunity for harm and potential harm at home. How did you develop education for the patients and family members? First, we wanted to figure out what could go wrong how it goes wrong, and what those consequences would be. And the process for doing that is a failure modes and effects analysis. So that was one of our first steps. We met with some of the electrophysiology nurses, uh, nurses from the cardiac arrhythmia service, physicians from our team, and general cardiology clinic nurses and nurse practitioners. We sat with them to figure out all of the different steps in the medication administration process from prescribing all the way to administration in the home setting and figure out which of those were most vulnerable so we could really target our intervention. 
And we found that before administration happens, families have to coordinate a schedule of administration. So that's an opportunity where some of these duplicate doses were happening. Um, also at the pre-administration level, there, there are some families who are unable to fill their medications. And sometimes that's an important piece that we forget about, that actually going to the pharmacy and being able to fill your prescription is an important part of medication administration. At the pharmacy, some families were given the wrong syringe size, or they didn't know how to check if they had the right mm -hmm. syringe size. They were given inconsistent labeling of their medication, and in some cases, the concentration of the medication wasn't on the label, so they couldn't do their double check. There were changes in the concentration from one pickup at the pharmacy to the next or from pharmacy to pharmacy. At the prescriber level, there, were, there was a lot of variability in how we were doing our discharge teaching and in what we were teaching families at the time of prescribing. Um, there are a lot of patients who are taking multiple medications, which is another layer of risk, either in confusing the drugs at the time of administration or at interactions between multiple medications. And not everyone gets all of their care here at our institution. So if they were getting prescriptions written here in their electronic medical record, and we might not have been aware of all the other medications that they were on. Our patients are inherently vulnerable. They're small children for the most part, and they're systemically ill. So um, that's another vulnerability. There are multiple drug interactions that can occur with antiarrhythmic medications, including QT prolongation. So that's an important consideration. And at the administration level, a lot of parents were unsure when to give medications, what the ideal schedule should be, if it should be taken with food or with milk, which does interact with some of our medications. And if children have multiple care providers within their household or multiple households that they live in, that complicates the medication administration process even further. And their clear communication is really important among family members. We would now like to turn to our audience and ask a question. In your response, please leave your city and country location. The question is, does your institution include medication safety as a part of routine patient education? You identified a lot of vulnerabilities and variability in both uh, what the patients and families have to deal with in the home setting and the education that they receive. What was adapted from the inpatient setting and initiative here at Children's, and what was newly developed for the home environment to help address these safety challenges? So we really saw this as a seamless framework from their inpatient stay all the way through to the home. So a lot was the same. You know, what really didn't change is the framework itself mm -hmm. because it's a framework that works. And we know that the Red Zone Medication Safety Initiative in our inpatient units has been very effective in reducing medication errors and events. And we know that we're rolling this out to procedural areas and ambulatory areas, and the home was sort of the next logical location to do this in. And families learn about it by watching us model the behaviors. So when we tell them from the first day of their admission that we need to be distraction-free because we're in the red zone, we're giving medications, they learn that behavior, yeah. and they can model that effectively at home if we just empower them to do that in an environment that is a little bit different. So that's what we wanted to keep consistent from the hospital to the home environment, is really the signage, the language, and the concepts. What's new is the environment. So home is very different from the hospital setting. There are multiple additional distractions. There aren't always people available that you can sign out to so you can be in the red zone. So we needed to address um, the many different variables with tools that were streamlined and simple for families to use. So we started with a multifaceted approach. We wanted to address prescriber vulnerabilities. We wanted to address home vulnerabilities. 
We looked at our own prescriber variability first. So for several years, we had our outpatient electrophysiology nurses going up to the bedside for the inpatients and doing discharge teaching along with the bedside nurses. And that allowed us to make sure that we were hitting the key concepts of red zone when it was a little bit new to the home setting. Now we know that our bedside nurses are incorporating a lot of that teaching already, so we're available for consultation, but we don't see every single patient. But in the beginning, we did go up and see all of these inpatients, talk to the families, learn what their specific challenges were at home, and tailor our teaching to try to address some of those unique concerns. We partnered with our pharmacy to update the lists of our liquid oral antiarrhythmic medications so that our house officers were prescribing the standardized concentrations before families went home. So that hopefully reduced some of the errors that were happening on the compounding level. At the same time, our pharmacy was streamlining the formulary so that the provider order entry populated the most correct liquid choices. So that was some of how we addressed our prescriber variability. We also tracked known events at our multidisciplinary M&M meetings so that we could talk about each known event and really get to the heart of what went wrong for the family in the home setting and try to consider some of the ways that we could enhance our teaching. We incorporated those possible failure modes into teaching for subsequent families empowering them to look for good catch opportunities. So some of that included double-checking labels at the pharmacy counter to make sure that their bottle was clearly and correctly labeled and that they understood how to administer it, making sure that they were given the proper syringe size for the volume that they were intended to draw up. So you can't use a 10-milliliter syringe to precisely draw up 0.35 milliliters of a solution. Um, Encouraging families to utilize separate storage Um, and labeling if you have multiple medications to make sure that you're not confusing the medications and administering the wrong one at the wrong time. And finally, helping them to coordinate a schedule, a schedule that works for home and not just in the hospital, especially if there are multiple caregivers, and facilitating those handoffs between caregivers. So for some families, that's a whiteboard or a calendar or an app. And every family is different, but we try to help them identify what's going to work for them. So we piloted a bundled intervention selected to address multiple learning needs and learning styles and many of the vulnerabilities that we identified in our failure modes and effects analysis. We call that the Red Zone at Home Toolkit. The idea was that this was an extension of the Red Zone concept of distraction-free practice for the home environment. It utilized some of the same signage and language that we used here in the hospital to create a space analogous to our medication or treatment rooms here in the hospital. There was an actual kit that parents could utilize during medication administration with the same red zone logo that they had become familiar with in the hospital, the sign for distraction-free practice. There were tactile teaching tools in the kit, um, key concept cards so that they could teach other people how to use the same distraction-free concepts if they were administering medication, whether in a daycare setting or in another household or maybe a babysitter or grandmother who was coming over. We had drug safety sheets that listed the child's medication, the correct volume, and some reminders about how to give it safely, as well as contact information for the team if there were any questions about administering it safely. We'd like to turn once more to our colleagues around the world and ask another question. In your response, please leave your city and country location. The question is, how has your institution helped to promote safe medication practice in the home setting? You've described a really expansive program that clearly had a lot of involvement from a variety of different providers, from pharmacy to nursing to prescribers to the patients and families themselves. 
How receptive were patients and parents in engaging in this practice? Have you seen a decrease in medication errors since implementing the red zone at home? And what has been the biggest change that you've noticed in your practice in, in conversing with the patients and families? The families were very receptive. The initial 10-kit feasibility study, we had all 10 kits go out to families and nine of them gave us feedback on the kits. And the nine who gave feedback, it was very positive. So they all had the same components, and families were able to give us feedback about which components were most mm -hmm. or least helpful. Overwhelmingly, the kit itself and the distraction-free mm -hmm. logo were most helpful to families. The specific items in them, such as the colored tape, weren't utilized as much as the box itself and the, the distraction-free logo. We have incorporated those concepts into our discharge teaching without giving every subsequent family that exact toolkit. Mm -hmm. And over time, we have seen a decrease in the errors that are reported to us. And we believe that for those families, we've made a really significant difference. This is really wonderful work, Jamie. Are there plans to expand and reevaluate the Red Zone at Home initiative for the future? Thanks, Adam. Yeah, we're really excited about this. You know, what we've learned from talking to families is that the toolkit and the concept of Red Zone is applicable in the home setting. So we see this as a continuum from admission to discharge and beyond, empowering families to use the same distraction and interruption-free practice that they learn from us in the hospital when they go home with their children and administer medications in the home environment. Learning from families what's best going to work in their environment, we've had our arrhythmia nurses incorporate that into the discharge teaching. So in the beginning, they would go up to the bedside and do this teaching as a specialty consult. But over time, we've been able to include the bedside nurses and eventually really hand that teaching off to the bedside nurses because the red zone is part of their discharge teaching framework now too. So we see that becoming a standardized approach in the heart center and eventually in the entire hospital where red zone concepts are part of discharge teaching and families learn how to use them for their own unique situations in the home environment. We have created some family education sheets on this, which are currently under revision, both for specific antiarrhythmic medications and for general medication administration. We think that's going to be really helpful for families to have those handouts to have that one-on-one -on -one teaching with a bedside nurse where red zone is really emphasized, but also to see our nurses modeling that behavior and learn how to request distraction and interruption-free practice themselves in the home environment. We talked about empowering and engaging our patients and their family members with the red zone at home initiative. What did it take to engage and standardize the education that our nurses and our physicians were delivering to these patients and families on a daily basis to ensure that we are maintaining consistency? Well, we have a really great team. So from physicians to nurse practitioners to nurses at the bedside, people were really engaged in anything that could enhance patient safety. So it took a lot of conversations and it took just engaging people, bringing them into the room while we're doing the teaching, um, having the conversation with the families and with the providers in real time, talking to the families, learning what's going to work from them, and then continuing to incorporate that with subsequent families. So we grew this process with the help and the input of the nurses at the bedside, of the physicians who were prescribing. And because we had that discussion of events when they happened at our multidisciplinary M&M, we had the opportunity to reflect on the known events and on the near misses to figure out what we could do better next time. And those conversations were happening in a team environment. So people were really engaged. And I think 
our culture here at Boston Children's has already really incorporated Red Zone, which put us at an advantage. So having an existing framework that worked for us in the inpatient where we saw results that we were then able to transform and provide for our patients in the home setting was something that actually was pretty easy to get people on board with. We'd like to turn again to our colleagues around the world and ask a final question. In your response, please leave your city and country location. The question is, are there other unique or innovative approaches to medication safety that you've incorporated into your program or practice? So Jamie, what was the most challenging aspect of instituting this initiative here at Children's at Home? And if other institutions are interested in implementing a similar type of initiative, where would you recommend that they start? The first part of change is assessing your current practice. So really speaking to the nurses at the bedside who are doing the discharge teaching and really speaking to the nurses in the outpatient environment who are doing medication reconciliation, figuring out what they've already learned about the errors or the events that are happening at home, and figuring out with the existing discharge teaching framework, what's working well, where are the areas for opportunity, and then you can formulate your program around those opportunities. The way that we did that was with the failure modes effects analysis. And I think that's a great way for other institutions to start too, because what you discover about your own institution and the needs of your patients might be different than ours. And it can be a great way to engage people, get that buy-in from the beginning, and really figure out where you want to target your intervention. I think we've learned that distraction-free and interruption-free practice is probably a great framework for most institutions. But where and how you incorporate that and, and what that's going to look like for your hospital might be very different. So starting from the beginning and really doing that clinical inquiry is a great place to start. Learning from your triumphs and reflecting on some of the challenges that you've worked through in order to make this program successful, I think has really proven that uh, the Red Zone at Home initiative is something that is here to stay. Um, so thank you for all that you and your team have done to implement this program uh, to make medication safety and medication administration uh, a priority for our patients and families at home. Thank you, Adam. We're really excited about these results, and we're looking forward to seeing what comes next. Thanks, Jamie. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.